Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're momming today with Corey DeAngelis. He's a senior fellow at the American Federation for Children. And we're talking the new hot button issue, or at least it feels like that to me, school choice. Uh, Corey, welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me. A lot of parents out there are saying, what? School choice? I have to go to my local public school. If not, I got to pay an arm and, arm and a leg to get into the private or the parochial school. Yeah, look, uh, people shouldn't have to pay twice. In the current system, you do. We spend about $16,000 per student per year in the government-run school system today, according to the U.S. Census Bureau's 2020 data. It's probably a lot higher now. And if you want to choose something else, you either have to get up and move houses to live in a neighborhood that's assigned to a different public school, or you have to pay out of pocket for private school tuition and fees. But what we're seeing move through state legislatures uh, this year in particular is school choice policies allowing that same money to follow the child to the education provider of their choosing. You can still take that to the public school if you want. If you like your public school, you can keep your public school, but for real this time. But if not, that funding could follow a child directed by the parent to pay for private school tuition and fees, a charter school, or a home-based education option. I, I have the so money, many, Sorry, continue. Yeah. I just have so many questions for you. Yeah, I mean, the money doesn't belong to the, the buildings that belongs to the kids. I think we're finally seeing people realize that education funding doesn't, isn't meant for, uh, is meant for educating the child, not for propping up and protecting a particular institution. So we're, we're seeing victories all across the country. A universal red, uh, red state school choice revolution is among us. You say red state, but what about blue states? Well, the Republicans have school choice on their party platform, and they happen to be the the legislators who are supporting school choice policies right now. It's a it's become a GOP litmus test issue, especially with all of the uh, nonsense going on in the public schools in terms of curriculum, uh, uh, CRT curriculum and, and sexualized curriculum as well. But it is actually a policy that's supported by the voters from all parties, whether you're Republican, Democrat, or independent. The latest polling that I've seen from Real Clear Opinion Research found that 72% of Americans support the concept of school choice with supermajority support among Republicans, Democrats, and independents. The problem is uh, teachers unions like the one uh, controlled by Randy Weingarten, the American Federation of Teachers, contribute almost all of their political spending to Democrats in elected office. Over 99% of AFT's political contributions went to Democrats in 2022, as opposed to Republicans. So it makes it really difficult for Democrats in elected office to, to come out uh, against that special interest. But the good news is there's a new special interest group in town. They're called parents. They've woken up. They're never going back to sleep. They're pushing back at the school board meetings, but they're also pushing back at the ballot box too. And it's becoming politically advantageous to support parental rights in education. And thankfully, it's becoming a form of political suicide to oppose school choice. 
the parents' union. In other words, okay, let's just back up a little bit. You had said $16,000 per child per year. That's what taxpayer money and the federal government and uh, all put yep. together. That's what each child essentially gets per year yep, to, state, to go to school. State, local, federal. Okay, yep. that's state, local, and federal. Um, it, so if you do school choice, some states, I, I know Arizona has universal uh, ESAs, education savings account. Those are basically state-funded vouchers where a child can go to whatever school they want to go to. Where do mm-hmm. they get the money from? It's the state education budget. So in Arizona, although they spend about $14,000 per student overall in the government-run school system, the state-level funding is only about $7,000. And that's the funding that would follow the child and does currently in Arizona to something called an education savings account directed by the parent that could be spent on any approved education expenditure, including private school tuition and fees, micro schooling and home based, uh, you know, homeschooling curriculum or private tutors. But but, but Corey, do do you think all parents or a majority of parents are equipped to to know what their child needs, if that question makes sense? Because, yeah, yeah. Answer. And then and then I'll challenge you. Yeah, well, parents care and know more about their children's education needs than bureaucrats sitting in offices hundreds of miles away. Not every parent is going to make the perfect decision, but they're more likely to get that decision right than than bureaucrats who don't even know their children's names. Uh, so s- school choice empowers parents to make those decisions, and it gives them an incentive to seek out more information about education providers. Once they have a choice, parents tend to be more likely to, to research alternatives for their kids because they actually exercise that choice. So the onus goes to the parent, but what about those parents who are just missing in action? Well, this one gives them a, a stronger incentive to, to to seek out those options. But then, two, your public school is still an option that's on the table. It, it always should be an option that's on the table. And, it, and it, it always has been with every school choice initiative that I've ever seen passed. And we talked a little bit about the funding. The public schools end up with higher per student funding uh, per uh, each year when they lose students to their competition. Well, how does that work? Well, because only the state funding follows the child in Arizona, for example, only 7,000 follows, the public schools get to keep thousands of dollars for for students they no longer educate. I mean, just imagine if you stopped shopping at Walmart and you wanted to stop at, at Trader Joe's for whatever reason, and Walmart got to keep half of your grocery funding each week. That would be a good deal for Walmart. This is similarly a good deal for the public schools that keep get to keep thousands of dollars for students who are no longer there. And the, so this would help uh, them be able to to deal with the students who remain in the public school system. And then also competition is just a rising tide that lifts all boats. And we have tons of evidence on this. 26 of 29 existing studies on the topic find that private school choice competition leads to better outcomes in the public schools. So this is a win-win solution. It sure sounds like it. We're Mommy Today continues right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back on We're Momming today with Corey DeAngelis talking school choice. You describe it as a win-win situation. Um, 
and you convince me. Okay, so the, the the teachers will say, well, this isn't the unions will say this isn't fair to the to the public schools because they already need more more funding and 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 these vouchers and school choice just takes money away from the public schools. But you say well, that's I, not I, the case. Yeah, my first response is, well, the money doesn't belong to the government schools. Education funding is meant for educating the child not for protecting a particular institution, whether it's public or private. My second response is a rhetorical question. Well, why would that happen? If your public schools are so great, they shouldn't have anything to worry about. The defenders of the status quo, the teachers unions are essentially telling on themselves. They're admitting that they understand families aren't happy with what they're getting. And that's an argument for choice, not not an argument for trapping kids in schools that are failing them year after year and failing generations of kids and, and pushing them into poverty for decades. Uh, and so the, the third response is, is the technical point, which is on a per student basis, the public schools end up with more money, not less, because they get to keep the local and federal funding even after the students leave. Well, what, uh, that's a good deal for the public schools. What should parents right now listening to this be saying, I live in New Jersey. Let's say I'm not happy with the edu- the public school education that my children are receiving. What do I what do I do with this information in my state you get, that's not a red yeah, state? You got to you got to pressure your legislators to support school choice bills. Uh, in blue states, it's a little more difficult for that to happen. But the, I think the way that I see this playing out, and it's already happening right before our eyes, is that red states are engaging in friendly competition. It's become a GOP litmus test issues to support the money following the child or parental rights and education. And we're seeing red states going all in. They're going big. They're passing universal programs in places like Iowa and Utah. Arizona did it with one seat GOP majorities in, in 2022. West Virginia, another red state, has universal school choice now. The dominoes are starting to fall, and it's absolutely glorious to see. But the more that the GOP leans into parental rights as a political winner, the more it becomes a form of political suicide for the Democrats to oppose it. We saw this in Virginia with Terry McAuliffe, who lost to Glenn Youngkin, a Republican, on the issue of education, which was the number two issue in that election in 2021. And this was in a state that went 10 points to Biden just the year before. Glenn Youngkin won with education voters by about six points, uh, according to Washington Post exit polling. And so that the more that the Democrats start to lose on the issue of, of school choice, the more that they let the mass slip and and telling people that they believe that but, parents shouldn't be telling schools what they should teach, the more that they'll have to defect or they'll lose their seats. And then the blue states will start to become more so red states and they'll have a better shot of passing the policy. Do we need the Department of Education? No, it should have never been born in 1979. We should abolish the Department of Education. Representative Thomas Massey puts out a bill every year. Uh, saying to abolish the Department of Education. It it should have never existed. It hasn't closed the achievement gaps as it uh, purported to do. Uh, The achievement gaps have have either stayed the same or gotten worse. We've dumped about a trillion, over a trillion dollars in federal education spending since the, uh, the the start of the Department of Education. The word education, and it hasn't led to better outcomes, the word education is not in the U.S. Constitution, has no business being there. I can't believe I'm going to ask this as a journalist, but what does the Department of Education even do? Did, like, really, what did they do? It takes money from the states and it, and, and it um, pays a lot of bureaucrats in Washington, D.C., and it, it, it sends money back to the states and it, it has a lot of uh, strings and regulations tied to it. Uh, and a lot of those regulations can be overly politicized um, by whoever's in office at the time. 
So, so they do it's, nothing. It's, it's, I mean, you, like, do or do they set a certain um, nationwide standard for for curriculum or anything like that, or is it really completely a statewide education system in the country? It's mostly state. I mean, ninety two percent of education funding, thankfully, comes from state and local sources. It's only about eight percent of the funding comes from the federal government, but a lot of the regulations come from the federal government like what? at the same time. Um, so, like, for example, there was talks of the Biden administration linking the federal funding to uh, to uh, having certain transgender policies in the schools. There's the national but that the didn't federal happen. lunch program. That didn't happen, Corey. Yeah, it didn't happen. But that's that's something that could happen okay. that we, that we should it? be wary of. Uh, I mean, it depends on who's in office and, and, and who... Um, you know, uh, pushes for these things in Congress. I mean, we have a split Congress right now, so I don't think it's likely to happen. But you also have the federal lunch program as well, um, uh, which can be done at the state level. Give that money back to the states and let them do their own lunch program. And now they uh, want the USDA wants uh, 30% less sodium and also less sugar in school lunches in the next couple of years, which is great. I mean, childhood obesity, you want healthy lunches. Yeah. But I don't think the schools can keep up with the current standards with the cost and the availability of the food items. And now now they're trying to go further. Well, it's a never ending money pit. We've increased per pupil education expenditures by about 152 percent since 1970 after adjusting for inflation. Wow. Have the outcomes gotten 152 percent better? No, absolutely they got worse. not. They've been- Exactly. And it's because this, the government school monopoly has no incentive to spend dollars wisely. The only way we're ever going to change that is from the bottom up, giving families a choice, allowing for competition. It's a rising tide that lifts all boats. And it'll give incentives for the public schools to focus on education as opposed to indoctrination. We so need to get back to the basics. Is there one specific school or school system or school of thought that's permeating right now that you think is successful and could be maybe a nationwide model for yeah. school choice. I would say there's no one size fits all, but the the gold standard of school choice policy has been the education savings account, allowing for the maximum flexibility of families to choose the education that works best for them. Because there is no one size fits all for each individual student, you have to have choice and you have to allow for a thousand flowers to bloom. One of those flowers that I've found that is interesting is something called a micro school. People were calling these one you know one room schoolhouses five to ten children get together in a household basically pandemic pods over the past few years and you can essentially economize on the process of homeschooling where five to ten children get together in a household and you could even use the the school choice funding to pay the the teacher to to run this miniature school um and that the teacher can make more money than they did in the public school system they'd have a lot less regulation smaller class sizes, five to 10, as opposed to, you know, 30, 40 kids in the public school system, the more that we can get away from this factory model of education, the more personalized that it can become, I think the better for children in the long run. I I love that. But aside from a higher paycheck, what guarantee does the teacher have that they won't be fired by a parent? No, that's, that's kind of, that's the feature, not a bug that uh, parents can hold the schools and the teachers accountable, and if the, the teachers uh, are confident, teachers in their aren't going to go for that. Not the teachers I know, and the I think they're ones, wonderful the teachers. Good ones are. You think? The, the, I think the good ones are. We saw in the Washington Post. They actually wrote about this during the pandemic. They wrote about a New Jersey public school teacher that was in the system for decades, 
uh, left to start their own micro school and had a smaller class size, more than they were getting paid in the New Jersey public school system, which I think they're getting paid pretty well in New Jersey, relatively speaking. And uh, they had a lot, just more autonomy. They felt better. They they, they didn't well, have to that's what, uh, worry about all the red tape. That's what every teacher I speak to says. That So there was a TikTok video. This, um, this teacher, young teacher, left her job as a teacher to become a cashier at Costco and it became it went viral and I was saying to myself you know okay I, I know being a teacher is is it's just wrapped in in paperwork and bureaucracy and annoying things when when she started teaching because she had a true love for educating children but she's more happy now as a as a cashier <laughs> in Costco I just I found that amazing but Every teacher that I speak to says we love teaching. We like to do it our way because we feel, especially for the experienced teachers, that we've proven over decades that th- this is how we best engage and, and teach students. Right. And they all say, especially the good ones and the ones who've been there for a long time, that they feel like they're just getting run over right now. Yeah, their hands are tied. And then they are actually, you know, uh, uh, rewarded for doing well in the current system. I talked about how spending has gone up by 152%, but teacher salaries since 1970 have only gone up by 8% in real terms. Where's all the money going? It's going towards administrative blow. It's going towards staffing surges, but it's not going towards the teachers who are already doing a good job in the system. So I do feel kind of bad when the teachers say that you know they're paying out of pocket for supplies each year, especially the ones that are already doing a good job. But the problem isn't with their competition. The problem is that their employer is a monopoly, has no incentive to spend money wisely. So school choice benefits students and 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 their kids as well because they get more options but it benefits the employees too because it pr- creates more competition in the labor market for employers to treat the employer employees better and there have been five studies on the topic i wrote about them in a in a piece called school choice benefits teachers too all five of these studies find positive effects of private and charter school competition on the teacher salaries in the public schools again this is a win-win solution I, I'm afraid I've I've run out of questions to ask you because I'm ju- I'm thinking of my own ex- my own experience um, growing up and I, I went through until high school at least the public education system and not to brag I was ahead of my class every class was crowded the school district was decent decent to good it, it definitely wasn't a top district um, but I, I think public education worked for me and it worked for my parents because we had these large classes. They were very diverse and there was always someone smarter that you had to compete with. And I just so I'm just trying to take my experience and put myself in a little pod of five to ten people. And I'm like, well, I wouldn't have as many people to compete with. You know, I, I'm a different type of student, but, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm just, you know, and then I have my 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 daughter, my seven year olds always tell me, Mom, you put too much pressure on me. It's fine. I can get a 70. What's wrong with a 70? I'm just I'm just trying to think of like where we are and the best way to get our kids to get better grades and to learn more. Yeah, I mean, that's one way to think about it. That's one of the benefits in having more, you know people around you that, that have you up your game. But also kids can compete with themselves. And I think the way that we learn is through self-directed learning with every other uh, facet of life. I and mean, before we start kindergarten, how do we learn things? Well, we're interested in things and it's kind of guided by the parents, obviously, but it's it's mostly through interest and in what what you want, want, want to learn. After college or after high school, how do we learn things? Well, we look things up based on our interests. We read 
things. We consult experts and uh, talk to people that we trust. Uh, I think that that doesn't have to be any different in the in-between years of, of K through 12 or even college education. But look, even in a pod of five to 10 students, you can have people that you associate with that that you can compete with. And in some cases, you know, the factory model school system, because there are so many different levels of of learning going on, it could make it really difficult for the teacher as well to try to 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 focus on the higher achievers and the lower achievers at the same time. And if they try to focus in the middle, you know, they'll lose the lower achievers by by not um, going slow enough. And then they might lose the the higher achievers by by not uh, challenging them enough. So so having this one size fits all system kind of it makes it hard for everybody. Corey, do you have kids yet? I know you're young. I I do not. I got to fix the school system. I know. You're an encyclopedia. I'm like, okay, I almost feel bad for the school district for Corey's children (laughs) because you're going to hold everybody to task. That's right. And um, yeah, hopefully that'll come soon. But I, I really think homeschooling would would be optimal, but again, it's it is very uh, wait where where you, the parent difficult. the parent the, would be the teacher, or you hire a teacher. Yeah, the either way, yeah, let's like like do a micro school type of thing where where you outsource that that homeschooling process to a, a third party that you trust. Um, but it, I, I I know it's under it can be difficult and and expensive and. You know, but with that universal education savings accounts, I think that option becomes more feasible for more families uh, over time. Corey DeAngelis, thank you. Thank you so much. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.